listening to She Rises, a podcast dedicated to women who are ready to stop settling and start living their lives by design. If you're ready to talk about the stuff that weighs you down and get practical advice on everything from your health, body image, spirituality, relationships, and personal growth, then you're in the right place. Hello, I'm Giovanna Capoza, your host, master coach, spiritual teacher, and mind-body expert, and I'm on a mission to unsettle women all over the world. Are you ready to rise? Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of She Rises. I'm your host, Giovanna Capoza, and what a show I have for you today. I'm telling you, this is the most fun I've had recording these podcasts. I had to have myself on mute half the time just because I was laughing so hard. Dr. Heather Bartos is in the house today. She is a board certified OBGYN, and we are talking about sex today, baby. So, If you have any kids in the room or you're listening in the car and your kids are there, maybe put this one on pause or put a headset in so you can listen without the kiddies in on it. We are going to be having a little bit of explicit language. And like I said, we're talking about sex. So if you don't want the kids to hear, try to make this one private just for you. Dr. Heather Bartow specializes in practices in something she calls mind shift medicine. It's the integration of one's mental, physical, and emotional health. So you guys know I love her because I'm a mind-body expert and been practicing this medicine and healing for years, even bringing it into my current coaching practice with women. So I'm so excited to have her on the show. She is a leading voice in the field of women's health and wellness. And her combination and her looking at a woman holistically and totally You're going to see that coming out in the show today, and I hope you take away some big insights for yourself from this show. As always, you can comment in the show notes at SheRisesPodcast.com. You can read more about Dr. Heather there, and definitely stay tuned for the end of the show. Today, we're going to talk about, we're going to start a little bit with your story, and we're, we're going to talk about sex, right? And I've, I've given everyone a warning already. So I'll do it again. If you have any kids in the room, um, anyone listening, you know, we might be swearing, there might be some language. Um, and it's just going to be a, one of those topics that you might not want your kids to listen in on. So just another warning there for you. And Heather, I would love for you, I mean, I always love hearing people's origin story. I love hearing how people got to be doing the job, the calling, the career that they're currently doing. And you're an OBGYN, you specialize in women's health, but you take it a step further and you're very um, holistically minded. So yeah, give us a little bit of insight. How did you get into this? Well, you know, it's, it's funny. My, this is actually my second career. My first career was actually in marketing. And I always like to tell people that I got my start in women's health because I shot my boss in the balls. Oh my God. Okay. You're going to have to, you're going to have to elaborate on that. There we go. There's <laughs> the sex story this Here morning. We go. Here we go. Uh, so I was in public relations and I worked in Nashville, Tennessee, and we did a lot of, you know, company events and we did a paintball tournament and I thought I'm from Texas. I'm going to do this. And, and I was, I was just about 22 and just didn't know what I was doing. I had pantyhose on my head, glue with leaves on it, trying to look all camo. <laughs> And I got, I got a little nervous when my boss and all these people came running over the hill with the flag and I just shot up and ramboed the whole group, shot my boss right square in the balls oh uh, with about 14 hot pink paint pellets. And I know- Of course it, it had to be hot pink, right? It was hot pink, of course. <laughs> and and uh, you know what? I was not invited back next year to continue my time <laughs> in marketing. <laughs> So I, um, I kind of walk ashamed my ass back to Texas and I 
worked for a hospital system at that time, uh, Texas Children's in Houston. It's a big children's hospital. And I thought, you know what? I really should be doing this, not writing about it. I wanted to be doing it. And so my dad says, did you wake up one day and decide you're going to go to medical school? And I said, well, I guess, kind of. So I went to medical school at 28. I was the oldest woman in my class. Wow. And all these young babies, and they'd never had a job. They'd never even filled out a W-2 before. And um, so I was kind of mama of the class, and I thought I wanted to do pediatrics. I loved kids. And then I did not like sick kids because I was sick all the time when I was in pediatrics. And, uh, and an OB-GYN came and talked to us, and she was just cool. She talked about how women are so awesome and, and how the vagina was like an orange juice can. Like that was what she kept talking about, orange juice can. I was like, I remember getting orange juice in cartons, but I'll go with this because she was so awesome. <laughs> and, and I said, you know, I need to check this out because women's health really, as she described it, went from birth to death, went from medical to surgical. It took care of the entire woman. And I loved the idea um, because I knew that men were babies, um, that I could just take care of women and that would be my job. Women, I'd be a, like a, a Sherpa for women's health and, uh, join the military at the same time. So I'm actually a U.S. Navy veteran. Oh my gosh, girl. And, uh, and went into the military, loved military medicine. It was so free and it was so literally free and, and I could order what I wanted to. And I got out and I went to corporate medicine when my time was up in the military and I was shocked I was shocked and I was, I was disheartened about how medicine had become on the outside. It was, how many can you see a day? See more, do more, we need to bill more. And, and it just became just, just a grind. And, and then my second child was about six months old and I ended up with a terrible case of pneumonia, hospitalized for a week. And I was trying to breast pump. I knew that's been breastfeeding. You know, you got breast pump all the time. Breast pump in the, in the hospital. And no one could tell me why, why I was sick. They said, we don't know, but you, you are on death's door here. And I realized that the fall was mine. I had let myself get taken advantage of. And, and I felt like the victim. And I was like, fuck this. I'm tired of this. There's got to be a better way to do healthcare. And so I left that corporate mess and I opened up my own practice and we do yoga and meditation and we offer everything. I always like to joke that we, we, um, we want to take care of the whole woman, not just a woman's whole. Oh my and, God, I love that. <laughs> that's how I wanted to practice. I wanted someone to say to me when I was sick, girl, get your head out of your ass. This is, you're, you're causing this problem. You, you have not taken care of yourself. And, and so I wanted someone to do that for me. And so I want to do that for other women. And so we started practicing in this kind of way. And I call it mind shift medicine, where we really focus on kind of navigating the waters of age and, and health. And, and this started the sex, the sex campaign, because really I had women that came from other OB-GYNs, other providers, and they said, my other doctor told me just to relax and just do it. And I was like, what the flip? That is, we need to find out why you're not wanting to have sex or why your sex life isn't great. Mm -hmm. Like, what's the why? And doctors are not really good at asking why. I mean, honestly, it's insurance and all that stuff too. But, you know, why? Why are you not wanting this? And so we really focused on trying to help women figure out what the base root of their sexuality was. And that's how I got interested in sexual health. I absolutely love that story, the ins and outs. and 
all, I mean, all of it. It's, it's amazing. And I'm curious when you said that you had that realization that you were causing your own illness, like say a little bit more about that. Like, was it the stress you're putting yourself under? Was it like stuff going on in your mind? Was it work? Like what exactly did you realize was that you were the cause of? Yeah, I definitely was playing right. And, and a lot of women do this. I see it all all day long. I was playing right into the victim role. You know, I had partners that were stealing from me and embezzling. And I thought, well, I'm just getting taken advantage of, or I'm working too hard. And I was like, you know what? I, you know, I, I'm letting them do this by, by enabling that behavior. I need to look at, see what, how I'm playing into the world of my health. And, and make an offensive move instead of defensive moves all day long, to quote Texas football. And, <laughs> and I realized that, that I just was blaming the, my environment for everything. You know, well, I work too hard. Well, I have young kids. Well, I, you know, I didn't have time to cook. And I was like, fuck it. I need to take responsibility and, and kind of agency for my own health. And when I did, I started feeling amazing. I mean, there are still days I would like to lose 10 more pounds or I'd like to maybe not have wrinkles on my face. But again, health is a shifting process. You know this as a, as a health coach too. It's, we're not just set in one time zone. And I have women that come back and they, I want to feel like I did when I was 20. Girl, you ain't 20 anymore. <laughs> Let's work with what we got. <laughs> you don't want to be 20 anymore. Remember how stupid we were when we were 20. We didn't know things when we were 20. You want to just feel as good as you can for the age that you're at. And you can be healthy and have diabetes. You can feel amazing and have IBS. You can feel good and still have diagnoses because our diagnoses do not define us. What I find so extraordinary about everything you've said so far, but in particular, your realization around making yourself sick is that... You know, I've been studying mind-body medicine for years. It's fascinated me about how the mind and the mindset and our beliefs and, you know, the way that we think and, you know, the deeply held emotions in the body create illness. You know, I've been studying that for years and I've always been on the alternative, right? I've always been on the fringe and what excites me so much and intrigues me as well is that you as a medical doctor, as a medically trained doctor, had this realization for yourself. And I know they are not teaching this stuff in medical school. So how did you, how did you know that? How did you understand that what was going on in your mind and in your emotional system was actually affecting your physical system? You're right. We, we don't teach this in medical school. And I don't know, honestly, if they ever will. I would like to think that they will. I would like to think at some point we will, you know, really get our heads out of our asses. I mean, the NIH has a whole field on mind-body medicine. And so it's becoming more mainstream, but it, it's, um, when I realized that I could write someone a pill and I could make their illness go away, their urinary tract infection go away, I wasn't necessarily fixing the person. I was fixing that moment, that symptom. And the question becomes, why do we get sick? I have women that come in and they have a book, a notebook of all their symptoms. It's like their hobby is their health or their sickness, I should say. Their hobby is their sickness. And I'm like, girl, you're focusing too much on that. We need to focus on what's good. And when I started fixing myself, I tried all these modalities. I tried I tried, you know, veg I'm going to try vegetarianism for a while. I was going to try this. I was going to try this. And until I found out, and I got to tell you right now, I hate kale. I hate kale. <laughs> I know. You heard, like, you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> you, heard it here. you heard it here. 
I, everyone was like, kale, kale's, and I was like, kale sucks. Like, I just cannot even stomach it. I won't even order it. <laughs> and so I was like, you know what? Everyone says eat kale. Everyone says do yoga. And I have a yoga studio in my office. And I personally, it doesn't work for me. And so what I had to figure out was what was my prescription for health? What worked for me? What, if I was a plant and you were a plant, I might be a hydrangea and you might be an aloe vera. We're going to have different care instructions. And so what works for you, maybe kale, maybe yoga, may not be what works well for my self-care. I might need more water, more sunlight, more different different foods or fertilizers. So it's really about finding our own personal prescription for health. And so I do great with Pilates. I'm type A, if you haven't noticed, and <laughs> I tend to get a very tight spine and I feel good after I get that spine released. Um, I do well with other kinds of food. So I, it's about finding what works for you. And when I did that, I realized it really means our brain is really going to come into play here. Our people aren't going to buy into it. Like you said. Mm -hmm. I, I love it because it, I mean, it, it excites me on so many levels. And I, when I had my clinical practice, I specialized in, in two main things. And one of them was women's health. And it's so extraordinary to me, two things. One is how as people, we can give our power away to, you know, doctors and their know-how in the medical establishment. And we're not really referencing in our own bodies, like what's going on in our mind? What's going on? How do I feel about this? And if I have a chronic UTI, like there must be something else going on. Like there's, there's got to be another connection. And I love that you actually, you went digging, you went digging for that and that you, you help women sort of treat that totality. So what are the things that you've seen with, you know, some of the chronic, you mentioned a really key thing about yourself, about being a victim. I, you know, I've noticed that mindset in several sort of chronic women's conditions like, you know, um, chronic fatigue syndrome or fibromyalgia. And like, I would be curious to, to know what other sort of um, mindset things have you found correlated to certain illnesses, you know, chronic or otherwise? Yeah, you know, one of the one of the big ones that we see, in addition to like all you said, chronic fatigue, uh, chronic Lyme disease, um, you know, any kind of rheumatological or autoimmune um, illnesses, those are are tricky. And I actually use a business model um, founded by the Toyota Corporation, which basically just relocated here to Texas recently, by the way. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeehaw, Texas. Uh, and it was actually by Mr. Toyota, the original founder, and they used something called the five whys. And anytime something on the floor didn't work, they would go through five whys. So the problem was this, well, why? Well, because we didn't have this, why? Because it wasn't ordered, well, why? Because so-and-so thought that this was being done. So you can take it down your hole and it works for health. It's amazing for health. I wish everyone would do that before they come to the office. It works great for something like low libido. I don't want to have sex with my husband. Why? Because it feels like a chore and I'm tired. Well, why? Well, because I'm focusing on the kids and I'm, you know, I got softball practice to take Timmy to and I got to go target and I got to, you know, this kind of thing. Why? Well, because I didn't plan out ahead of time what I was going to do. Why? Well, because my husband doesn't help me at home. Well, we just found out the root of the problem is that she feels some anxiety towards her husband because he's not helping. Yeah, and overburdened and overburdened. Yeah. Then that gives you a solution to your problem. Let's ask hubby for some help. Tell him how you're feeling. 
reestablish that connection, that intimacy. But we don't. As women, we're terrible at this. Like we have a horrible coat of coat, uh, case of white coat laryngitis. We don't want to speak up to our doctors because we don't feel like our our personal lives matter, but they do. It's always good info when someone shares. You know, well, hey, this happened to me one time. That's useful information, especially if you feel it's useful information. So, you know, by starting to really dig in and deep dive, as we like to call it in the coaching world, deep dive, we can start to find what the triggers are and what the, what the base root of the problems are. Yeah. And let's, and we, and I love the segue because I was going to say, we promised the audience sex. We've got to give them some sex. (laughs) Um, So you know, so that's one of the problems, right? Being overburdened, especially if you're a mother, right? Being overburdened by chores and responsibilities. And then if, you know, hubby's not helping at home, like, frankly, it's just not sexy, right? And for for women, mostly, sex starts hours and hours before the actual, like, physical act, right? Like we, it's in our mind. It's in our mindset. How do we feel about ourselves? How are we feeling about our, our spouse, our partner? And I'm, I'm curious to, to, to go in there a little bit and talk about the things that really stop women from really enjoying sex and opening up to that and enjoying their bodies. Yeah, it is. It all starts, as you said, our biggest sex organ is our brain. It's our brain. It's not the clitoris or uterus. And we always talk about this. It doesn't matter what you weigh or anything like that. It starts in your brain. And because of the way we work today in society, we are a thinking woman's society. So we use our prefrontal cortex so much. This is the thinking woman's brain. And we are doing, and I always ask women, okay, so you don't want to have sex. What are you doing when you have sex? Well, I'm coming up with my Kroger shopping list. (laughs) Girl, shit, you ain't, you up in your brain. You in the right part of your brain. You're in the wrong part. Like you're, why are you thinking about your shopping list during sex? You're supposed to be in the moment. So trying to tap into our limbic system, which is deeper down the brain, more animal part of the brain, those things focus on things like the five senses. And so if we can try to get women in the moment to not think lists to do, you know, report cards, PTO meetings, but instead we think these sheets feel amazing. I love oh, that. What is that smell? You remember how, when you were in high school, like your boyfriend's like polo cologne was like so sexy. It was just like, <laughs> that smell. Um, nowadays, maybe it's a little bit too retro, but you know, we, we talk about these things in, you know, velvet sheets or blindfolds or reading erotica or taste, you know, chocolate and red wine. Those are there to actually stimulate the limbic system because that's the animal part of your brain. And the more you can get into that part, which will take some, some exercising of that, then you can actually be in the moment and start to enjoy it. And, and- what would you say, like, I mean, I, I'm, of the, I'm of the belief, and I, I mean, I try and practice this all the time, like a woman is responsible for her own turn-on, right? She's resp- I, I believe that we're responsible for our turn-on in life, whether it's our career, our hobbies, or whatever, but we're also, like, responsible for our own turn-on physically and, like you said, sensorially. So are there any practices for women to start to really own that, like, and not you know, put it so much on our partner. Cause I think if you have the ability to, to be responsible for your own turn on and know, you know, what really, you know, gets you off, so to speak, then mm-hmm. a, you can help your partner and B it turns them on even more. So what are some things women can do to take back their turn on? It's, it's, you're exactly right. I mean, we are responsible for our own 
uh, orgasm, our own everything. And if it's not happening, it is our responsibility, our agency to say, hey, I think this would work better. And a lot of women are afraid to critique their partners. And again, I don't really think it's really critiquing as much as some feedback. And I'm going to tell you right now, the men go gaga for this. They love it when you give them feedback. Um, It starts, our sexual beliefs are cemented between ages five and eight before we even know what sex really is. And we have no idea. We know there's boys and there's girls and that's it. And that's when our sex beliefs are started. And they're usually brought down through the family. So, you know, if mom, I know, and I'm, I know my mom, she, um, hopefully she's not listening to this right now, but uh, <laughs> we hope <laughs> I'm like, uh, no, I'm skip this one. You know, we never talked about sex ever in my house. It was just something that quote unquote, good girls end quote didn't do. And so I had no idea. I had no idea what a penis was to look. I mean, I didn't even know what the purpose of it was. And this was before social media. So it was, it was easier then. And I remember asking her when I was about 15, I said, what would you do if I got pregnant? Cause I was just being that teenager that was just kind of pushing the boundaries a little bit. And she said, well, I would, I would love you, but I'd be very disappointed in you. And I was like, ow, disappointment's worse than anything, right? Shame and blame are like the worst, the worst, especially with sexuality, the worst, um, um, emotions to feel. And I don't think she was trying to, to derail anything, but a lot of us have these feelings from childhood. You know, um, you may have been touching yourself as a child and, and aunt Gerda saw it and said, we don't do that. Never touch yourself. That's dirty. And all of a sudden your little self thinks I can't, my vagina's dirty. And so trying to go back and trying to get some of those sexual beliefs out on paper can be really, really helpful. And it seems almost like I got to go back and write down what I thought about sex when I was eight. It's more about what was your family's beliefs about sex? Did y'all talk about it? Was it ever brought up? Was it something that was never brought up? It was taboo. It was, you know, it was, it was again, something that good girls didn't do. Biologically speaking, women are built to have higher sex drives than men. Like that's our biology. Yeah. It's our, it's our, it's our gift. (laughs) It's our our feminine archetype. Exactly. And, and over the years and not to get all political, the patriarchy, you know, beat that. Oh, let's go there, girl. I like, I like to get patriarchy political. Let's go go there then. Kings, kings could have mistresses and all that. And, you know, you look at Queen Elizabeth the first and she couldn't even take a lover because she was the virgin queen because it made her pure and chaste. And, and so, so men controlled that, um, that manipulation, you know, back when we had like moon goddesses and that whole kind of, uh, feminine goddess system, then women were empowered with their own sexuality. And it was essentially beat out of us for years and generations. I mean, even back in like the fifties, I mean, I love mad men and I watch it still, but geez, I mean, they're either, you're either a slut and you slept with Don Draper, <laughs> which is, <laughs> or you were his wife who just stayed home and made meatloaf. And was the good girl, right? Yeah. Good girl. She was the beautiful good girl. And, and it really became when the birth control pill came out in the sixties and seventies, there was this revolution, right? A sexual revolution. But even so only some of the women took part in that. And again, because you were going to be labeled a slut, a tramp, um, gosh, I probably think of a lot more whore. Oh yeah. This guy, I mean, it goes on for like centuries and centuries. Centuries. And I mean, women were executed for this. I mean, right now in, I think Brunei, women will be stoned to death for adultery. And, you know, it's, it's crazy. And that's how men control the sexual urges of women. 
but biologically speaking, we need those urges because we need women to get pregnant from a biological standpoint. So we need women to actually want to have sex. It's also the seat of our power as women. And I think that's why if we talk about the patriarchy, why it was suppressed for centuries and centuries, because if it's harnessed well, and if it's harnessed to our advantage within our own self-respect and our own boundaries, it's how it's a powerful force. Like you said, it's the force to, it's the force to create life. It's the force of creativity itself. Um, it's so deeply feminine um, and spiritual even. And it, it saddens me what, what has become of women's desire and turn on. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's, you know, even if you look at like the crime of rape, I mean, it's a power, it's a power struggle against a woman. It has nothing to do with anything sexual, mm-hmm. but it's really taking away the seat of her power. And it's just now that we're really starting to talk about, which I'm excited, I'm really excited about, about how we can take back our sexuality and our sexual health. And again, it starts with all that agency of owning our own sexuality. And we certainly are teaching our younger daughters these days, you know, just because a boy likes you doesn't mean you have to go have sex with them. You have sex when you're ready to have sex or you want to have sex. And it's not dirty or bad or awful. You'd be safe. You're going to be safe about it because we don't like non-safe sex. But we want women to enjoy their bodies. It is your God-given gift. It is your, it's derived from the universe. You are supposed to have pleasure from your body. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I had a couple stories come to mind. So first of all, I want to tell the audience listening, and I don't know, Heather, if you've seen this movie, but a client of mine brought it to my attention. It's an older movie. I think it might be late eight, or early 90s, actually, um, called Dangerous Beauty. It's about a courtesan. Oh, in- I love that movie. Oh, I love that movie. Such a good movie about, you know, sexual power and women and femininity and just, yeah, I just highly recommend that for all the listeners listening. I do but too. Go rent it. It's on Amazon. I bought it on Amazon. Yeah, it's awesome. I had just watched it on, on iTunes. So yeah, it's everywhere. But um, yeah, it's such a good movie. That came to mind. And then it, it came to mind when, uh, like a story, when you're talking about how we're raised as children and how we do have to dig through these beliefs. I remember being um, 12 years old and, or maybe 11, because I, I think I got my period when I was 12. So I was probably 11. And, you know, my mom never talked about sex. I had three older sisters. They never talked about sex with me. I was significantly younger. Um, my mom used to like blush when a tampon commercial came on. Okay. That's how bad oh, it was. No. We grew up Catholic. So it's like, you don't talk about it. Right. And I remember being about 11, 10, 11 years old and the neighbor down the street who was a couple years older than me, you know, was teasing me. And she's like, I bet you don't even know what a period is. And of course, because I always thought I was a smarty pants. I was like, yes, I do. It's the punctuation at the end of the sentence. And I thought I was all smarty pants because I said the word punctuation and she just (laughs) fell over laughing because she knew I was serious and that I had no clue. So of course I ran home and asked my older sister what a period was. But, you know, I thought of that story, which is to remember like it was yesterday, but it just, it just goes to show you that we are having to reeducate ourselves now as women, you know, in our quote unquote old age, right? We're we're having to reeducate ourselves around desire and our bodies. And I wonder if you can share with the audience, you know, some ways to get, like we've talked about digging through some of the childhood beliefs and stuff like that, but what are some of the ways that we can just get acquainted and familiar and even let's say comfortable with our own bodies? Right, right. It is probably the most challenging thing because as we get older, 
we now, I, I have what I like to call the jiggle rolls and farts problem, which is things like <laughs> where they used to be, right? I mean, you know, after a couple of kids, you know, and you're, you know, you're thinking about sex, you're like, oh God, that's going to move in a way it shouldn't. Or, you know, I got six rolls from my three kids or, you know, what if I fart in the middle of it? I get that question a lot. What do I do or if I, I fart? I can't get in that? that position because my role's going to show. And I know. And I'm like, girl, you just keep going. If you fart, that means he's hitting a good spot. That means you <laughs> keep going. You just look at the dog and you keep going. Um, it is I so love this hard. conversation. <laughs> you know, one of my, the reason I really started getting interested in sex was a patient of mine who was so beautiful. She's 70 and I'd seen her for years and she was there for her well woman exam. And so, you know, I'm kind of like this all the time. And so I was just chatting. I'm like, so what's up with your bad self? And let's just get your well woman done and give you some chocolate and all because we give everyone chocolate when we're done. And she says, can I ask you a question? And I was like, oh, okay. I mean, you mean to refill something? What you need girl? And she goes, I don't think I've ever had an orgasm. Wow. And I was like, Oh, and my professional face is like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And inside I was like, what the fuck? Really? Like, what do I say to her? Like, and she was like, 70? 70 and oh. beautiful. And so I said, oh, okay. I, oh, y'all got to move my next few appointments because I got I to talk to her. I, mean, I can't wait. She's 70 years old. We got to get this moving. And it was so interesting. She felt very self-conscious, self um she was very self-deprecating. Her husband was amazing and, and had no idea, had no idea for the 50 years they were married that she oh, never had an orgasm. And he was very willing to do that to her. He was, he was like, what can I do? I, I will do it. I will do whatever. I mean, he was not a partner that was not really engaged in this. He just didn't know. And, and I said, so what's the first problem? She goes, well, I am old. Look at me. I was like, girl, you're beautiful. I mean, like Helen Mirren, beautiful. Like, I mean, just gorgeous. So the first thing I had her do was go home. And for two minutes every day while she was brushing her teeth, I had her stare at her own eyes in the mirror. I said, just look at yourself in the mirror. And that's really hard for a lot of us to do. I mean, we look at ourselves and they go, oh God, what's that? Why is that gray hair showing? And what's that wrinkle? I said, you look yourself straight in the eye. You're looking into your soul is what you're doing at that point. You're looking straight in there. And I said, two minutes. And I really didn't want her to brush her teeth. I figured that was the only way I was going to get her to do it. So I really right. said, let's start, let's start with that. And so she emails me this week. She's like, I did it. I did it. I, I could do it. She goes, it was really tough. It's tough to look yourself in the eye. And she, I said, great. Now you're going to go to five minutes. She's like, oh, shit. I was like, yeah, baby, we're going to go to five minutes. I said, get to know yourself in there. Then after that, I had her do it full naked after the shower in the mirror. I said, let's just look at yourself. And after about three or four days, she hated it. She hated me probably that week. She, Why did I say anything to her, damn it? After a few days, she started to notice the most beautiful things about her. She said, you know what? I have little dainty ankles. I love my ankles. Mm -hmm. I have, you know, I still have really nice breasts for a seven-year. I, I think my breasts look really good. So what we started to focus on was what was good, what she loved about her body, not looking at the little nitpicky things that's horrible about her body because we all have those. I mean, I have cabbage patch hands, but I don't focus <laughs> on that. I focus on other things. And by doing that, you start to realize, hey, this is what I'm going to highlight. This is what I'm going to think about when I'm thinking about, oh, does he think that this, this big 
panis from my second child is sexy. I'm going to think about, you know what? My butt looks really cute from behind. Let's do it from behind. You're going to start to realize how to play up your good parts. And French women have been good at this for generations. They always focus on what's good. And if they're worried about roles, they'll wear a man's shirt kind of unbuttoned with a black bra. They'll, you know, they'll focus on what's good. And, and by doing that, you can kind of get yourself quickly out of your own head and also out of your own negativity because it's not serving you. And, and, you know, into the actual pleasure of the moment, because I mean, if you're worried about like, how does that look? And how does that look? And if you're, like you said earlier in the conversation, if you're in your head, the chances of you actually having an orgasm are slim to none because you're, you're not, you're in the wrong part of your anatomy, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 You're essentially in editing mode. You're, you're being an editor. If you're thinking I shouldn't say that, or I shouldn't sound like that, or I shouldn't just, you're in your editing brain, not your creative brain. Yeah. You're in your creative brain where you're creating a beautiful experience for yourself. I always think of that line from Eat, Pray, Love when they're in Italy and they're having pizza and, um, you know, her friend, the Danish friend says, oh, I, don't, I don't know, I can't eat any more pizza. I've, I've put on weight. And, and she said, you know, Julia Roberts' characters turn around to her and says, you know, in all your years of um, being with a man, has he ever, ever looked at your naked body, you know, 10 pounds more or less and turned you down for sex? Like, has he ever cared about, like, and she said, no. And they don't really. Yeah. Men find it <laughs> sexy when we eat. I mean, they do. That's why men find pregnant women so sexy because they'll just eat ice cream, pizza, whatever. And certainly, I mean, we want to advocate for eating clean and healthy well, if we can. Mm-hmm. But, but having the occasional treat is, is, is pleasuring yourself the same way that sex is pleasure. It's self-care. It's mm-hmm. the basis of all self-care. And it's really a vital sign. For your life. I mean, it's, it's heart rate, blood pressure, weight, sex. Yeah. Right there on the scale with them. Totally. So let's take this out with a big bang pun completely intended. And let's actually talk about orgasm because I think it's like, it's probably like as mysterious to some women as a black hole in space. Like Another pun. (laughs) Right. Another pun, totally unintended, but fits perfectly. Right. So it's like, you know, there's multiple places we can orgasm. You know, mm-hmm. there's, there's some ways that women haven't discovered yet to orgasm. Like, how do we find it? What do we do with it? Like, let's, let's go there. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I just actually put in an article not too long ago on nipplegasm, which is just the word that I coined because it's a thing um, people. It's a thing. I mean, it's a real thing. Um, the nipples are very erogenous zone. If you guys remember Friends, when Monica went through the seven different erogenous zones, that was a hilarious episode. Where she goes, <laughs> I don't know that oh, episode. I've oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. You must YouTube it when we're dying. It's like, she goes, it's a one, a one, two, three, a four, a three, four. A five. She's naming all the different. Oh yeah. Zones. You know what? I do remember that. Yeah. Remember that? She goes, seven, seven, seven. Oh my gosh. That's okay. <laughs> Anyway, I digress. Um, Yes, there's many different ways to have an orgasm. The other thing is that orgasm is healthy. It is so healthy. It releases dopamine and oxytocin, which is a bonding hormone. It releases everything that's good in the world without calories or, you know. (laughs) So it's something that I think women should be aiming for. Now, I have many patients that have a hard time orgasming during sex with their partner. And I think that that's okay. Uh, as long as 
is orgasm is still on the plate, if you will. I have some partners that will use a they'll use a vibrator during sex to try to get their orgasm, or after sex, the partner will then stimulate them to orgasm. Again, it's part of the release of the of all the the hormones and the blood flow. Um, it's really healthy, and and some women they do really well by nipple orgasm, and so. But focusing on your body with your partner first may be very difficult and maybe feel very much too vulnerable for some women. So that's why I always say start start with yourself first and kind of explore the area. And women go, ooh, I'm not touching my own vagina. And I'm like, girl, it's your own vagina. I mean, that, that's, like, the pro- that's problem number one right there. <laughs> it's problem number one. Hey, if anyone wants, I'll send you some, some exam gloves. Just send me your address. I'll send you a pair of exam gloves if you don't want to touch your own vagina, finger to vagina. But... But for real, it's your own vagina. You know, your babies came through there. If their face can go through there, you can put your finger up there. So, you know, if if you can kind of feel what feels good, what part feels good, like for some women, and like you know, the O um, massage is kind of big these days. And I don't think you should go to a conference somewhere and get an O massage by somebody you don't know. But there's some techniques there that you know you don't rub right on the clitoris. Like you just don't push like a it's, like, it's not like an on button. You just push it over and over. It actually is to the sides, kind of that coral mm-hmm. fold, kind of wishbone that kind of covers the clitoris. That's more pleasurable, um, and that's really analogous to where the penis is. So you wouldn't just tap the top of his penis and think that's going to feel good to him. I mean, I don't think that would feel good to him. We'll take a survey later. (laughs) Let's all try that tonight and let me know how that goes. But, you know, you want to kind of feel around it, you know, and again, it's, it's, you're not a DJ scratching a record. You're going to mix it up a little bit. You know, you might find that some light tapping is good or some, some, you know, circular motion is good. And you're going to find what works for you first. Um, You may play with the nipples and see if that does anything for you. And the more you're comfortable with your own body, then you can then translate that to your partner. Um, Because you want to be able to say, here is the manual of what I found that works for me sexually. And I'm giving this to you as a gift. Which they love. They love it. Oh my God. Guys love anything that makes it easier for them. I mean, anything. And it's like a TV guide. You hand them a TV guide, they'll read it. So this is like your TV guide and, or your V guide, I should say, your vaginal guide. Uh, and so if you can start to work, I mean, I had an 80 year old one time that, that I asked if she was sexually active and she said, yes, um, I have seven men. And I was like, oh, I, oh, this good girl. Amazing. I had 80. Wow. Well, you know, and she's like, well, she had eight different vibrators and she named them all for a different <laughs> dude. And she had Bob and Ed and this kind of thing. And so she just would get out whichever one she wanted to play with that night. And she, I mean, she was the happiest 80 year old I'd ever met in my life. Mm-hmm. Joyful all the time, and it's okay to own a vibrator, ladies. It's okay to do that. It's okay to shut down the kids at night, and he's over there watching Sports Center, and you go in there and you just kind of see what works for you. It's okay to play with that area. You're not dirty. You're not going to get in trouble by your mom. Um, it's, you're a grown woman, and you're checking out what the gifts that the universe gave you. Yeah, I mean, not every woman, you know, orgasms the same way, like you said, and. I think there's a lot of guilt and pressure to have an orgasm with your partner. And sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't. And, um, you know, there's all kinds of emotions up in there. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's not always about the orgasm, but it's so good if you can find your orgasm, because like you said, it yeah. keeps you young, keeps you vital, um, keeps those connection you know, hormones and, you know, right. um, right. It lowers your blood pressure. It lowers cortisol. Like there's, an enumerate 
a list of benefits to an orgasm. Like yeah. it's, it's, it's great for your health and you're, and you're absolutely right because you know, it, it's all about expectations and everything in life. And so if you're thinking I must orgasm while we have sex, I must orgasm. You're putting too much pressure on yourself. Totally. You know, I say, it would be great if I can orgasm, but you know what, if it doesn't happen, I'm connecting to my partner. I'm feeling really sexy and you know what, I'll take care of my business later and that's okay the pressure and the shame that we put on ourselves that really jack us up. Totally. Oh my God. I love this. Heather, I feel like we need to have a part two. We're probably going to have to do that at some point because like, I have so many more things I want to talk about. I'm so grateful uh, for you coming on this show, for your wisdom, and mostly for what you're doing in the world for women, especially as a medical doctor. You're, you're treating the whole woman, not just her parts, and uh, literally and figuratively. And I just so appreciate you and thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. Thank you so much for tuning in and keep rising everyone for books and resources related to today's episode make sure you head over to sherisespodcast.com and i'll see you there if you've enjoyed today's episode make sure you tune back in next week when i dive into more juicy topics to help make your life the best it can be and hey if you've enjoyed listening to the show and you love it head on over to itunes and leave me a rate and review and subscribe there to the show 